There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Hi, friends. Thank you for joining me today here on WCN-TV. I'm Pastor Mike, hosting uh, once again. My guest today is Chris Sasser, and we're going to be talking about this this wonderful book. Um, The title just just grabs you immediately, um, Bags. Now, of course, there's a subtitle, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. And I think hearing that, then you understand uh, what Chris is going to be talking about. It's it's not surprising to hear about bullying, about school shootings, about sexual indoctrination, all of the things that are part of our children's world certainly were not part of our world, at least in my generation. Schools used to be about reading, writing, and arithmetic, but today young people, wow, they're up against challenges that, um, well, are simply mind-boggling. Teen depression, suicide, broken families. Kids are struggling today, friends, to keep it together in a world gone mad. Chris Sasser has been working with kids for 30 years, counsels them, hears their stories, helps them navigate an increasingly complex and confusing world. In his book, Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load, we're going to be talking about a number of things and And as we get into this conversation, eight specific things, eight types of baggage that you as a parent or or you as a concerned family member can help children get rid of. Chris Sasser has been serving kids, students, and families in full-time ministry um, and currently is the pastor of family ministries at Port City Community Church overseeing ministries from, and and Chris, when I read this earlier, it made me scratch my head and I thought, wow, this takes a remarkable personality and leader to navigate. So, so let me read it first. Overseeing the ministries for kids from birth through high school. Now, friends, I want you to stop and consider that for a moment, all of the different things and, and focuses that those different age groups would have and the amount of wisdom and knowledge and a good staff, I might add, 
is necessary. He is a lead consultant for Ministry Architects, where he helps churches around the country build healthy systems. Chris's website is equipandencourage.com, equipandencourage.com, or you can go to thebagsbook.com, and I would encourage you to do that before this this uh, show is over. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Mike, thank you so much for having me. I have to say that that I have a lot of incredible people that work with me at our church who uh, who really kind of hone in on the different uh, age groups and the different kind of specific issues that kids are, are dealing with. But I, I have had a chance for a long time to be really on the front lines of what, what our, our kids, our teenagers, and our families are dealing with. And so thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about what's going on with our kids and to just continue to raise the flag for us as parents and adults to, to really pay attention to what's going on. So I, I'm, I'm honored to be here today. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, Kathy and I, my wife, Kathy and I, um, that's where we started off in, in our ministry after we were saved, uh, was working with children. And, and it is a great joy. It's, it certainly is uh, laborious, but it, it, is a, it is a labor of love. So appreciate what you do. So you, you fielded this question, no doubt, um, probably every time you're, you're interviewed about your book. And that is, where did you come up with the idea? What motivated you? What's, what's the story behind the book? Well, it's been a long journey for me. So as you mentioned, I've been in full-time ministry for for almost uh, 30 years now. And so obviously I've seen a lot of different things, a lot of different families, a lot of different dynamics. And I would say maybe about six or seven years ago, um, this idea came to my mind. And I had been um, I'd been doing the, the, the idea actually first came to mind maybe 15 years ago, but I really jumped into it about six or seven. So my wife and I, as kind of a, a part of a church, we had done premarital counseling for young adults who were on their way to marriage. And so oftentimes it was uh, one uh, young man or young lady who had kind of gone through our church. And so we knew them well, and they had gone, gone off to college and found their, their future spouse and they're going to get married. And they said, Hey, can you come you know, be the official at our wedding. And I was honored to do that and be a part of that. And so sometimes we knew one of them. Sometimes we knew both of them. They had both been a part of the church. But what we would do is we'd have them over to our house um, for dinner to start a premarital counseling process. And it would be typically five or six weeks. And the first night, uh, you know, we'd have dinner in the kitchen then we kind of transition into the den and we'd say, hey, we're going to sort of play a game. We're, we're going to ask you to, to act like you don't know us and give us your life story, your family story and your faith story. And Mike, what would happen is these young adults would just unload on us. They would unload all the things that kind of were, were in the heart, what were going on, um, some things that we knew, some things that we, we didn't know, quite honestly. Um, and, and I remember they would leave our house and I would look at my wife and I would say, honey, uh, holy smoke, they are carrying so much emotional baggage that it's ridiculous. And it was really a little bit sad for me that they were walking into what is hopefully the most exciting time of their life uh, with, with getting, getting married. And, but yet they had all this baggage that they had no idea what to do with. So obviously the next five or six sessions is helping them unpack their bags and hopefully be ready for marriage. Well, we had young kids at the time and I did what a lot of parents do. I started sort of jokingly saying, well, what are our kids going to be saying when they're in counseling, when they're in their young adult years and, and thinking through, wow, I, I really, I hope and pray that my kids can get to their young adult years and just not have quite so much baggage. Um, and, and I wondered, is there a way 
that that I, I can kind of learn how to help them get to their young adult years and honestly just be a little bit healthier. And so I, I just started doing focus groups with college students and young adults and and kind of pitch this you know idea to them. Hey, I know we've got some emotional baggage that we're dealing with. Tell me what your bags are. And 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 they would just just like the, the young adults would in our kitchen or our living room, uh, these young adults in these focus groups just unloaded on me. And so over the course of a year and a half or so, talking to several hundred uh, college students and young adults, reflecting back on, you know, 30 years of ministry, I just was able to identify eight common bags that kids pack along the way. Now, there's lots of different uh, things that aren't in the book that are the emotional baggage that we deal with. But I just heard kind of some common themes over and over and over again. And so so my desire was just to help us as parents figure out how to lighten the load. Like, how can we get our kids to their young adult years and just be be a little bit healthier? I'm not naive enough to to believe that we can get kids to to, to where there's no emotional baggage. We're all going to have emotional baggage throughout life. But I, I do wonder if there's a way to kind of almost build a preventive maintenance plan uh, to, to be able to to help our kids. And, and kind of the years that I talk about are really between the ages of five and 25. If we can know the bags our kids are packing between five and 25, and we can do some things uh, kind of to be preventative along the way, would that be helpful? And could we get our kids to a more healthy place? So um, after doing all the focus groups, just started writing. And then the book came out this just this past March. So that's the origin of it is is hearing about baggage from a lot of young adults headed to marriage, not wanting that for my kids, being stupidly optimistic enough to think that maybe we could figure out a way to help them be healthier. Um, and I, I honestly, I started looking for this because I felt like, hey, surely someone's already done this. And as I started looking for it, all I found was how to unpack your bags. I mean, that's what a lot of us do. That's why we we go to counseling is to be able to unpack the bags that we've already sort of stuffed. And so what if we can figure out ways to, to, to be kind of, preventative on the front end with our kids to help them get to their young adult years. So I know it's a long story, but that's where the idea came from. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I've, I've spoken to a lot of people over the last um, year and a half or, or maybe a little more, Chris, that are um, professionals in the counseling field and several of them um, specialize with, with children and to a person they they are sounding the alarm about the rise in mental health issues uh, in that demographic. Children that 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 in in generations past we would we would not think for a second that there were any issues. They seem to be well adjusted, but times have changed, and and the last couple of years have really changed things. So, in your own experience, Chris, what are some of the leading causes that that you could pinpoint today um, for the mental health and and I'll call it a crisis a mental health crisis among young people if it's not a crisis please correct me uh, if it is could you, could you maybe pinpoint some things that um, that that are causes of that yeah I would totally agree with you that it is a crisis and I have some friends of mine who are professional counselors who own counseling practices who are in mental health who are um, like like the people you've talked to sounding the alarm and saying we, we've got to do something about this. Anecdotally, we, we did a, a kind of a survey with high school students uh, back in January at our church to kind of just say, hey, we, we want to be talking to you about things that are helpful. So tell us what are things that you want for us to be talking about? And it was mental health, mental health, mental health, mental health, mental health. This is what the kids are saying. Yeah. And so, um, 
you know, without kind of going into the, the specific bags, because I do think that that to answer your question, we would have to go into some of the specific bags. But I'll, I'll probably target um, primarily just the pressure that these kids are under from so many different directions. And I think the pressure, um, unfortunately, often starts at home to where parents mm-hmm. are putting pressure on kids. And, mm-hmm. and the pressure is to to kind of live the American dream, if you will. It's, it's you know, a lot, a lot of parents want for kids to, you know, make sure that from a very early age, they're on the right team or they're getting the best grades and they're kind of on the track, if you will, to be able to get into the right college, whatever that means yeah. for kind of you and your your yeah. context to, to, to get the right job, to, to marry the right person, to make the right money to, you know, kind of have the right family, to, to just do all of the things that are kind of along this track. And so there's just an enormous pressure on our kids nowadays to perform. That would kind of be the performance bag that we can dig into a little bit deeper in a minute. But, but if I had to kind of pinpoint one thing, it's the pressure that these kids feel. And I don't think we can ignore the rise of the, the smartphone when it comes to all of this pressure. And there is study after study where it talks about how kids kind of begin to experience this pressure in a lot of different ways when they kind of had the world at their fingertips, when they could compare themselves, not just to the people in the lunchroom or to the people kind of in their school, but they could compare themselves to people all over the world very quickly. And so that's a lot of pressure to, to kind of compare yourself and mm-hmm. get enough likes and live up to all the, the right, you know, post the right pictures and all those things. There's there's pressure to perform academically that hasn't, I mean, it just continues to ramp up. And all of a sudden, if you're not kind of in the right classes in some areas of the country, you know, by the time you're in eighth grade, you, there's just no chance for you to kind of get get to wherever it is that you want to get. Um, and so it's just, it, it's so much pressure that these kids are under to perform um, and I think oftentimes as as parents and even adults, we don't know how to alleviate that pressure. And actually, I think there are times where we play into it and we, we sort of add on to that pressure. One of the things that, um, again, anecdotally is, is a suggestion for us as adults is figure out ways to reduce the pressure, especially parents reduce the pressure at home, which is which is, you know, a little bit. Um, Uh, parents feel like they have to ramp the pressure up at home often because, you know, you got to get the schoolwork done and you got to be at practice on time and you got to do all the things. But um, what if we reduce the pressure at home? So to answer your question, the anxiety and depression is coming from the pressure that that these kids are under and it starts at an earlier and earlier age. Amen. Amen. Well, Chris, thank you so much for holding off on revealing the bags because <laughs> we are going to get to that. And folks, I'm just going to tell you what they are now and, and they'll be a part of this conversation um, before we end today. So the relational bag, the performance bag, the identity bag, the comparison bag, authority bag, rejection bag, guilt and shame bag, disappointment bag. So all of those um, areas uh, will need to be addressed, and hopefully we'll cover all of those. So I was just thinking, Chris, as as as, as you were answering that that previous question, and and you brought up smartphones. I don't think most people give a lot of thought um, outside of counselors to how much likes, follows, and shares mean to young people today. In fact, a generation ago, if you'd have said, "Hey," In, in 30 years, in, in 40 years, our young people are going to be deriving their 
their self-worth by follows, by likes, by shares. And if we'd have said that 40 years ago, people say, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got no clue what you mean by that. Well, we do. We know what that means today, don't we? So most of us, you, you talk about in your book that that most of us have some sort of emotional baggage that that we have to deal with. And, and, that, and that starts with the parents. And, and, I'm, and I'm so glad that you you mentioned that, that there are things the parents need to, to work on themselves, but also in relation to their children to understand how their own baggage is is influencing um, and maybe even motivating in certain ways uh, the actions of their children. That's that's mm-hmm. a very important component to, to family dynamics, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and I'll reference kind of b- both things that you said there. Number one is I think part of the the drive that our kids today have to, to need the likes, to need the follows, it, it, it's really the question of, do you see me? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's about identity. And part of, you know, identity is like, who are my people and where do I belong? Mm-hmm. And so when, when, when they feel like, and I don't know if this is true with, with all kids, right? at this point, it's just part of the wave of culture they live in. But at some level, the need for the likes, the need for the follows, the need for all of that is, is I need to be seen and I need for people to, to sort of recognize who I am and, and to see me. And so that's a huge identity piece. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll say, uh, kind of based on what you just said there, is I, I have the opportunity to do this as a seminar for parents in, in a lot of different contexts. And, and Mike, every single time that I do this, um, you know, we're talking about how can we help our kids lighten the load and parents will say, oh, wait a minute, like that, that bag that you're talking about, I have that bag mm. and I, I have never dealt with it and I don't know what to do with that. And so, so for sure, I'm definitely passing that on to my kids because I've kind of mm. known it was there, but I really have never done anything with it, you know, and, and my, my advice, it's joking advice, but it's actually true. It's you need to see a counselor about that or see your pastor. Or make sure you're talking about it in your small group. I mean, if, if you can recognize that there are emotional bags that you have packed along the journey of your life that you have mm-hmm. not dealt with, please do something about that. Because we, we've all known people where that just sort of you know comes comes spewing out in their 30s, 40s, or 50s, and that's never never pretty. And so part of this for me is not only awareness and and preventive maintenance for kids; it's an awareness for us as adults of like, where are we in our heart? Where are we in our faith? Mm-hmm. Where are we in our identity in Christ? And and how does that lead the way that we're leading the children that God has entrusted us with? Because I, I don't know that we're, we're always really good at it because we're, we're sinful beings as well. And so, so yeah, th- th- there's a need for the, for the, our kids to be seen and known. And like, there's a need for us to kind of pay attention to the bags that we've packed so that we can be healthy in the way that we lead our kids with these. Amen. Amen. I, I, I like how you, you talked about that in the book, packing bags all through our lives. Um, that has, in, in my view, that has great uh, explanatory power for parents when, when we come to understand, listen, some things, some bags are generational. So yep. we we started packing those when we were young and we've carried them around our whole life and we're not even aware of it. And so when we're in search of, well, why am I why am I this way? Why do I behave, respond, react? Well, examine your family, 
and your parents and what did you pack along the way? So that's, that's, that, that's a great insight uh, from the book, friends. So what does, uh, in your estimation, um, Chris, and, and we're going to jump into these um, uh, bags here in just a moment, um, but in your estimation, what, what, does, what does success look like in parenting? Um, I, I would say that what I have done over the last number of years in going through this project is I have redefined what success looks like, because I think for a long time I, I was of the mindset that a lot of parents and especially in our country are. And it's what I just described a few minutes ago of I need to make sure that my kids are are, 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 are doing well academically and getting the right grades and kind of along that journey so that they can kind of get to their young adult years and, and have a good job and make a lot of money and be successful in life. And, you know, the problem with that, Mike, is, is we, we all know people and, and maybe some of us have been people who that was our path and we were miserable mm-hmm. <laughs> when we, we sort of achieved the, the, the success that we felt mm-hmm. like uh, we were being sort of pushed into. Again, it was just sort of, it, it's a cultural wave sometimes depending on your context that you can get in and it's hard to stop. So, um, and, and I probably as a parent was kind of of that mindset. What I had to do was to, to redefine success. And, and today what I say success is, and again, a lot of it is, is from, um, all talking to all the teenagers, young, young adults through this project. But for me, success is I want for my kids to be healthy. I want for them to be healthy mentally. I want for them to be healthy emotionally. I want for them to be healthy relationally. And I want for them to be healthy spiritually. And if, if, if along the journey of their adolescence, I can do things as a parent to help them be healthy when they mm-hmm. get to their young adult and adult years, I don't care where they go to college. I don't care where they work. I don't care how much money they make. I, if they are healthy, then I'm going to put a check in the box <laughs> of, yeah. uh, of parenting. Not that you can ever really do that. Um, but for me, that's success now is I want healthy kids. And I know everybody would, would sort of say that, you know, we all, we, when we, when we say that we typically think, well, let's keep them healthy physically because, you know, make sure they're not hurting themselves. And that is true. But I think to, to be able to pay attention to the mental health, the emotional health, the spiritual health and the relational health is just critical in this generation. And a lot of it is, you know, b- because of where, um, these these teens are going in their mental health nowadays, it feels to me like it's more and more critical for us as parents to just change the bullseye on what successful parenting looks like. Yes. Yes. Amen. Friends, uh, we are we are talking with um, pastor and author Chris Sasser. The book is Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. Um in the book, Scott, you talk about uh, awareness and uh, preventative maintenance. What do you mean by those things? Well, I think oftentimes as parents, our relationship with our kids can can become kind of mechanical. And what I mean by that is, you know, cer- certainly, you know, when, when they're younger, everybody's got to get get up and and you know get get out of bed and get your clothes on and get, let's have breakfast and let's kind of get everything ready for school and let's go to school and then mm-hmm. whatever you know after school activities are. Um, we kind of get to practice or, or get our homework done and go to bed and then we do it again. That's sort of the, obviously the school year cycle. And, and I think what gets crowded out in that is the relationship with our kids. And so for me, um, the awareness comes from 
the attempt to have a real and authentic relationship, not simply a relationship where um, I'm guiding my kids along the way. One of the things that I've heard recently is that parents have become their kids' agents. Mm, wow. They're, they're their agent for school where they're going to kind of be the interface with the teacher or the administration. They're going to be their agent when it comes to their sports team where they're making sure that they, you know, get the right amount of playing time or get on the right team or whatever. You know, I hear stories. I mean, this is crazy with, with young adults nowadays where, where parents are going to job interviews with young adults and negotiating benefits. Oh my. Them. Yeah. And so, so, <laughs> You know, it doesn't stop when they they kind of leave your your nest. There are just a lot of parents that that are are their kids' agents. So all of that to me means that I'm more interested in in guiding my child to success than I am about knowing who they are and being able to be aware of what's really going on in their life. And the only way that I can sort of step into any type of preventive maintenance with my kids is if I if I just really know their heart. And I know them and there's a relationship there. One of the things I started saying about a year or so ago, unrelated to, to, to this topic, but I've now applied it to it. So, you know, as a pastor and you, you probably know this well, you know, during the pandemic, uh, we began to provide a lot of content for people and you know, it's content like what we're doing right now, which is critical, it's valuable. One of the things we did in our church is we, we kind of did some focus groups about mid pandemic with some parents over a Zoom call. And we, we heard them say, I love kind of the, the content that you're giving me. I'm thankful for being able to stay connected at church and being able to kind of know what's going on. I also really need connection. I need connection with people. And we all know that that's kind of how we've been created to live. So I, what I started saying is, is we need connection over content. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is absolutely true with our kids as well. We're really good at giving our kids content. Here's how you tie your shoe. Here's what you need to eat. Here's how you should do your homework. Here's how you need to hit the ball. Let's go out and, and let's make sure we're, we're doing the right throwing motion or kicking motion or whatever. We're going to give our kids content and what they really are craving. And this is back to what you were asking about. We kind of with them needing the likes and needing the followers. Again, what they're really craving is the connection. Mm-hmm. And so we have to provide the connection over the content. So all of that, I believe, helps us be more aware of what's really going on with them. And it helps us be able to pay attention to the things we need to pay attention to. And we can see, Hey, they're packing this bag here in this particular place that if they, if they keep packing that bag now, I know what that looks like when they're 30 and that's not pretty. So let's just do what we can now to, to, to put an end to that. So we have to be aware of what's going on. And then we have to kind of build a plan to, to, to not allow them to pack those bags. Yes. Yes. Amen. Great, great response. So here again, um, for those who have joined us today, Chris, here, here are the eight bags and, and, and um, the relational, the performance, the identity, the comparison, the authority, the rejection, the guilt and shame, and the disappointment. Thank you, Spencer, for Popping that right up there. That is fantastic. So, so let's start with the relational. What what do you mean by uh, by our children will stuff a bag a, that, that you've called relational? And then the second part of that is why is that the the heaviest uh, mm-hmm. of all the bags? Uh, I, I I don't know that I would say that it is the heaviest, quite honestly. And, and that's kind of been a, a, an evolution for me trying to just figure out 
Um, it, it probably is, but it, because obviously relationships are so critical to mm-hmm. all of us. What I've done with all these bags is I've given them kind of a definition. And so here's what I would say about um, the relational bag, that relational bags get packed as kids develop sadness, hurt, and disappointment around the key relationships in their life. Mm. They have sadness, hurt, and disappointment around the key relationships in their life. And w- one of the kind of um, kind of anecdotal stories that I'll tell that that really kind of helped to, to begin to drive this home for me is I just remember being in a focus group one time uh, with kind of some college students. And what they would say is, well, I know my parents love me, but, or they would say, I love my parents, but, and it was just kind of a, an interesting conversation for me because I think a lot of, a lot of kids nowadays are, are wondering, and this may sting a little bit to, to a parent. They're wondering like, do my parents love me because they love me or do they love me because it's part of the, the job description? They kind of got stuck with it mm. when they had me. And so they have to tell me that they love me, which, which I hope as a parent, you're telling your kids, you love them a lot like all the time, please tell your kids you love them. Um, but but they're just kind of questioning whether or not parents really, really kind of love them. Because again, we get into the mechanical part of the relationship so early and we just push that kind of for a, a season yeah. of, I don't know, 18 years. And then all of a sudden the relationship just isn't as deep as they want it to be. And so, um, and the relational bag doesn't just kind of land on on parents, the the more stories I heard is you know there, there's relational baggage that we we pack with our siblings. Like if there's more than one you know kid in the house, there is relational baggage because there's sibling rivalry that begins at a very early age because they begin to compare each other and and he gets that and she gets that and I didn't and you like him better and so there's relational bags with you as the parent when it comes to the the sibling relationship. There's relational baggage with the siblings themselves in the midst of the relational. Um, kind of, kind of conversations, and then of course there's just baggage that they pack with their friends, kind of along the way. I would add there's baggage they pack with coaches and authority figures, and, and so yeah, I mean it probably is. It's one of the heaviest ones for sure, because we're all created for relationship. We all long for healthy relationship, um, but unfortunately, oftentimes we we don't navigate relationships well, mm-hmm. and because of that, we all have different relational baggage. And I can point back to. A lot I have in my life, um, but what I want is I want for my kids to 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 not have so much relational baggage, so that they're able to do relationships well in the future. Yes, Amen, Amen. And then uh, the performance bag. Now that's that's one that um, that I think particularly yep. comes into play when there's <laughs> when there's sibling rivalry and and yes. things of that nature, but also. Um, how important is it? And I don't want to sidetrack you from what you want to say about, about sure. this particular baggage. Um, but does, does the need for approval come into play here for our children? And um, how much of a motivational factor is that in, in generally speaking in our children's lives? I think it's pretty big. I think it does depend on the kid. And whether they get kind of they need internal motivation or they need external motivation. And so um, but it certainly kind of plays in because they learn at a very early age that they have to perform in order to be approved of. And that happens everywhere in their life. And so kind of the definition that I would say for the performance bag is performance bags get packed as kids feel the pressure to perform everywhere in life. And they begin to believe that their sense of worth 
is tied to their achievements. And, and Mike, this is where the bags kind of begin to overlap quite a bit. And I, I say this in the book, and, and, and it's so true that, you know, the performance bag does overlap with the comparison bag. Like you just mentioned, you know, comparing siblings, it certainly overlaps with the identity bag because performance sometimes is so tied to our identity and, and people get into the, 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 the mindset that I have to perform in order to be approved of. And that, that, that is now who I am. Uh, I, I am a performer in some way, shape or form. And that could be academically, athletically, it could be, uh, you know, relationally, there's just so many ways that we can go with that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's totally, totally plays into it. And, you know, when, when we started this conversation, you talked about kind of what's going on with this generation. I mean, I, I did lead with that, that the pressure to perform is something that is tremendous on these kids. I'd love to read a quote for you from a high school student, if I could. Yes, please. And this is, this is recent. This is not in the book, but you know, I'm, I'm always having conversations with kids about this. And I referenced that we did a survey not too long ago with high school students in our church, just kind of trying to say, hey, how, how can we be helping you? What do we need to be talking about? And there was one section on the survey where kids could just kind of put in whatever they wanted to. And let me read this quote from a high school student that I think applies here. It says, stress levels are enormous. I used to love school, but now I stare at the clock until the bell rings. I play sports as well, which means I miss some class, but I have to make it up later. My parents aren't any help either. They are part of the problem. They say, you better watch that 93 in science. It's getting a little bit close to an A minus. They don't get it. Keeping perfect grades while playing three sports a year is difficult. But don't let them see me too sad or too stressed or too much of a negative emotion or they'll blame it on my phone and snatch it right up until I cry at the dinner table about it. Here's sort of the kicker phrase that is the reason why I really want to read this quote. Someone has to tell adults that we will crumble without some sort of relief. Wow. And that's the performance baggage that we're talking about. And, 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 and that is what we are all feeling uh, when we talk about the anxiety and depression and stress and the conversations that you know, we're having nationwide, worldwide, really, about the pressure to perform that these kids are under. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know when I was growing up, Chris, it was it was uh, all about the grades, but it it it, it wasn't perfect. We right. weren't expected to achieve that. Um, my parents were very good at at understanding what each of and I'm one of six. Wow. Uh, what each of us was capable of and encouraging us to achieve that, but not pushing us to achieve something that just wasn't within reach um, um, for us. So boy, that quote right there, Ooh, that's, that's an eye opening quote. Well, and, and I'll share kind of on that note. I mean, I, I, one of the things that, that, that the book does is in every single bag, we sort of offer some here, here are some practical things you can do that are pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And easy to, to help your kids maybe not pack that bag. And, and, and you just telling that story uh, made me think of part of what I think we need to do as parents is we need to encourage our kids to do their best, not be the best. Exactly. And, and it's complete. I mean, that, those two things are very different because in every situation, there is only one the best. <laughs> and what about the rest of us? <laughs> <laughs> and so kids are so um, so often encouraged that they have to be the best at this or the best at that, and and it's just not possible for them. And so therefore, in you know, part of reducing the pressure is just saying, no, I need you to do your best, 
and, yes. and hold kids accountable to that as, as much as you can. But you, 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 the moment you, you are pushing them to be the best uh, for most of them, and certainly at some point in life, you're setting them up for failure because they can't be the best forever. That's right. That's right. And thank you for pointing that out. So uh, one of the features in the book that, that I like, friends, and I'll try to I'll try to get it so that you can see it, is uh, reflection questions. Reflection questions. So after talking about a particular bag, there are reflection questions that enable parents to consider what, what Chris has covered and, and how they might apply some solutions. Um, it goes, uh, well... I don't think it's an overstatement today, Chris, to say that families, uh, many families are uh, a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. And if, if there's not relief of some kind, then there's going to be some, some difficult manifestations that are going to be disruptive and um, potentially dangerous. Absolutely true. Totally agree with that. And I think I, I see it all the time. That is, as soon as kids can get out of the pressure cooker, they do. And and oftentimes they they, um, they divorce themselves from the relationships that that were were ramping up the pressure, quite honestly. Maybe not forever and, and maybe not, you know, completely, but they certainly they, they want to get away from the pressure. And I know there's a tension there because we all need pressure in order to grow and we mm -hmm. all need to understand, you know, perseverance and the way you know, perseverance produces hope and all those things. Yes. Um, but, but I do think we've taken that as culture to a very unhealthy level. And even in, in Christian homes, we've commingled the, the, the worldly pressure that we put on our kids with some spiritual pressure and they just don't know how to navigate it all. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely right. So we've covered uh, friends so far, we've covered the relational bag. We've, we've touched on the performance bag. We've, we've touched on the identity bag and we've really kind of skirted around the, the comparison bag. Is, is there anything that, that, that you would like to say additional to anything that we've already said, Chris, concerning the performance identity or comparison bag? Yeah, I would just say with the identity bag, um, it, it it is one that a lot of different bags sort of pour into and, and identity is obviously one of the most important things in life that we can sort of sort through. And so, you know, part of what I really want for my kids is I want for them to have their, their, their identity be in their relationship with Christ. And we started doing this uh, a couple of years ago um, every now and then we don't do it that often, but um, you know, we'll have a conversation on the dinner table. And, and one of the, the, the questions that I'll ask is just like a fill in the blank question. And not too long ago, I, I asked my kids, hey, I want you to fill in the blank. I am blank. And, and just see what they say. And some kids will say, I am a baseball player or, you know, I'm a good student or I'm a good friend. And what we what I want is I want for my kids when it comes to their identity for saying, here's who I am. I want for them to say, I'm a child of God first and foremost. And everything kind of points them hopefully to that. And so, so the identity bag is, is one that kind of a lot of the other bags sort of revolve around. And a, a critical piece of that for our kids is not just sort of who they are, but the kind of the other question they're asking when it comes to identity is where do I belong? Who are my people? Who's my tribe? And, and to as parents and, and adults, you know, who, who are around these kids, 
We need to do everything we can to put them into healthy relationships with other kind of people and key adults. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know how those relationships will push them in a good direction or a bad direction. And so like one of the things I heard not too long ago, kind of in, in church ministry, you know, it used to be, and maybe this was the case when you were kind of doing children's ministry, Mike, is, you know, you had the ratios of, kind of what you had to have. You had to have, you know, one adult for every eight kids or yeah. whatever it is. Well, a couple of years ago, um, uh, a guy in, in, in uh, on the West Coast, Chap Clark, a, a friend of mine, he's been a professor for a long time. He started saying we need to flip the ratio. And what we need is we need five adults for every one kid. Five mm-hmm. significant adults saying the same things that parents are saying, encouraging kids along the way of their faith. That's what we need to surround these kids with. And so that plays into helping their identity. So th- th- I wanted to kind of point both of those things out with identity is identity it re- it really matters. Um, I mean, sure, your kid can be a good baseball player. That's not who they are. And as parents, we have to reinforce who they are deep down. And part of the way we have to do that is to surround them with a community that'll, that'll lead them in that direction. Yes. Yes. Amen. Um, so the authority bag is next, um, Chris and, uh, reading that I'm, this is a topic that is much discussed. Yes, it's tough, isn't it? Yes, wow, wow. So, so walk us through this because that's this is this yeah. is a tough one. Well, here, here's kind of the, again the definition that I came up with this uh, for this one. The authority bag gets packed as kids wonder who gets to be in charge of me, and they struggle to submit to authority in their lives. And I, if I'm honest, Mike, I think as adults we are are uh, quite uh, guilty in in leading our kids down this path. So one of the things that I saw very early on in this project was I saw uh, um, uh, basically a cartoon that was a a juxtaposition of two different time periods. One was, I think, like 1968, and it had kind of, it was a school setting, and it had um, mom, dad, and the teacher on one side of the desk holding up a paper that had like an F on it, a bad grade, and, and asking the kid who's on the other side of the desk, explain these grades. That's kind of what happened for a long time. And then there was kind of the, 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 the picture next to it was, you know, 2014 or whatever. And on one side of the, the desk were mom, dad, and the kid holding the paper with the F and the teacher on the other side and mom and dad and the kid saying, explain these grades. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's a subtle erosion that that parent of authority that parents have contributed to. I mean, real time story for us: our son was on a you know little league basketball team, and the coach was not a good coach at all. Didn't know what he was doing. We were struggling with it all year long. One particular game we played, and we got in the call. The coach had made some decisions during the game that no human who had ever watched basketball would make all game long, right? And so we get in the car. And, and uh, like everything in me wants to bond with my son and talk about how bad this coach is. But that's an authority issue. We have said we're playing in this league and he's your authority figure. And so it took everything in me to not go down that road and talk about how bad the coach is or talk about how bad teachers are. Or, you know, what if I come home from work? And I talk about my boss and how bad my boss is. Our kids are listening to all of these conversations. And so if we as adults can't model what it means to be under authority, even when we don't like it, 
what's the message we're sending to a generation of kids? And so I, I think a lot of what we're seeing when it comes to the next generation, just bucking authority and in, in what feels like a different way than maybe has happened in, in the past. Um, we've sort of planted those seeds. And so we got to figure out a way to help them understand, um, you know, God has put all authority in place. And, and so we've got to follow that authority. Um, or, you know, if obviously if someone's leading you away from, from God's laws and what God wants you to do, uh, you got to figure that out. But for the most part, most of the authority that we're under as adults, um, we just have to navigate better. And, and so our kids are just trying to figure out how, how do you follow authority well? Because there's no doubt that when they can't follow worldly authority well, they're going to struggle with following God's authority in their yes. life. Yes. And so, you know, the authority bag, I think, is, is tremendous. And as adults, you know, that's, again, one of the things that we have to do is model being under authority. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is there any relationship, uh, Chris, in your mind to the... Um, the erosion of, of authority is, is there any relationship between that and the breakdown in the family that we've witnessed for the last several decades? Oh yeah. I, I think for sure. And, and there are sociologists who are far better qualified to talk through all of that than I am. But to answer your question, yes. I mean, I, I do see a lot of teenagers who, who don't have sort of what, what I would, would say is a, a healthy you know, mother and father authority, both in the home who are kind of working together the way God has created the family to be and offering kind of the, 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 the right authority at the right time in the right ways. When, when, when one or sometimes even both of those are gone. Um, yeah. It, it certainly impacts the way kids are able to, to be healthy in the world and it's not their fault. It's just sort of the, the, the life that they're, they're in. And so sure the erosion of the, the family is, is a big piece of this. Um, but again, I think even in, in you know, what you would call sort of healthy looking families, there's still kind of sometimes a seed of a bucking of authority um, that we just have to pay attention to. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next bag is the rejection bag. Um, and I'll just say this from a from a personal and pastoral viewpoint. Um, this is. This has been the toughest one for me in in counseling people, speaking with them. Um, issues, so many issues of life uh, seem to have their seed and their root in this um, in rejection. So, how how important is it for parents to to understand when their kids? Um, are rejected or, or let me put it this way, Chris, how important is it for parents to discern that their children are stuffing that rejection bag um, and then take appropriate steps to help them through that? Well, I think it, it goes back to making sure you have the relationship with your kids to where you know that that's happening. I mean, uh, there's some of the more kind of obvious rejections that we as parents will, will know about. They yeah. try out for a team. They don't you know, they get cut or there's a friend group that they are spending a lot of time with. And all of a sudden they're not anymore. You, you can kind of pay attention to, you know, what's happening with them and, and sort of know when they're rejected. But I do think there are often you know, things that that are deeper than that. Um, where, you know, and it happens nonstop all day, every day, just little rejection moments that we all experience. And I think the, the, the key is not, 
shielding our kids from rejection. We can't do that because sometimes they're just not going to be good enough to be a part of a group or an organization. And and we have to help them process why they weren't good enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's just the the, the real world that we live in. And so again, it, it, it dovetails with the authority bag. If, and I know I use sports analogies a lot. That's, that's kind of our family. Um, But, but a kid doesn't make a team. It's not the coach's fault necessarily. Maybe they just weren't good enough at a certain thing. And, And so we have to help them understand why and be able to process in order to get better in the future. But we also have to, again, be relationally close enough to them to be able to sense or or at least where they trust us enough to tell us when the other rejection moments happen. And then we're able to help them navigate, okay, what does that mean? And then honestly, Mike, tie it back to identity. Look, just because you were rejected by this group of people, it doesn't mean God loves you any less. It doesn't mean you're any less a child of God. It doesn't mean you're worthless. It doesn't mean you're not valued. Um, it just means there's something relationally going on with that group of friends or or whatever. And so we've got to just be able to, to be relationally close enough to them to, to know what's going on. And then, again, the goal is not to, to, to get rid of all the rejections in life. The goal is to help them learn how to process rejection in a healthy way and still maintain their identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You encourage parents in the book, Scott. And again... <laughs> We are speaking with Chris Sasser. The book is Bags. Thank you very much, Spencer. You are right on it. <laughs> Chris, you, you you encourage parents in the book to monitor um, their children's um, social media exposure um, and um, and try to help them not become swallowed up by that because that's very, very easy to do. And it touches on... Well, almost every one of the bags it that does. you talk about. It does. But, yeah. Um, so, so, what advice? Because this is a this is a tough area for kids today. Because they're they're, boy, is bonded a good good way to put it? I mean, it is social media and and all these different platforms. It is everything. It is mm-hmm. nearly the center of their universe. Uh, for, for many children. So, so what advice would you give parents to help them monitoring and then kind of um, uh, managing, helping their children to manage that area? Yeah, this is such a tough one because I mean, it, it obviously has been a conversation kind of in the parenting world for the last number of years of, you know, when's the right time for my kid to, to get a, a cell phone? When's the right time for them to get yes. social media? And, and, and you're right. The reality is, is it is the world that they live in. And, you know, I've, I've heard kind of the phrase said before, it's kind of the soup that they swim in mm-hmm. um, and that's not going away. And so, you know, in some ways as a parent, you have to decide, like, yes. are you going to let them? sort of live in the world, if you will. And I don't mean kind of, you know, in, in, in a tremendously negative kind of way. It's just, can, can we allow them to be able to navigate the way the world works nowadays mm-hmm. in a healthy way? And so all along the way, there, there probably are just appropriate, you know, guardrails that you need to put in as a parent to make sure that, you know, you, you your kid gets a, a cell phone or gets social media when be one, one app at a time and you, you talk through it. Um, with them. I mean, every kid is different because some kids, it is their life. Other kids just, they, they do use it to kind of connect a little bit here and there. Um, the one piece of practical advice that I would give to parents is whenever 
your kids do get a device and or social media is do not allow that phone to live in their room. That phone needs to live either in a common area or in your room. That's what we we started doing very early. And we just set that expectation for our kids from the moment that they got it. And, and you know, 10 o'clock every night, your phone's in our room. Um, because what we know is they do not have the cognitive ability to shut it down at a certain time. If, if that blue light or that whatever light is in their room, they're going to look at it and they're going to stay up till three o'clock looking at it. And sometimes it's, it, it might be innocent things they're looking at, or they're learning something or they're reading something, but it's going to interfere with their sleep. It's going to interfere with their health. Mm -hmm. Um, and so kind of the, the best practical advice I would say is, um, don't, don't let them, don't let it live in their room. And I would say, hold off on all of this as long as you can. And that's different for you, um, depending on who your kid is, depending on kind of their social circle. I mean, with both of our kids, they didn't get cell phones until they were um, almost going into high school. And we were the anomaly, for sure. I mean, there were moments where the second grader next door had the phone and and our kids who were in middle school didn't. Uh, And so um, and, and the last thing I'll say about that, and this is not hard and fast, but oftentimes you want to be where your kids are. Like if they are on um, Instagram, be there. You don't have to be there as a stalker. You don't have to you follow everything they do, like what they do, whatever. You just kind of need to understand the world that they're in. Um, if they're on TikTok, uh, sorry, but get on TikTok. And re- you don't have to post dances and things. But just understand the world that we live in, which, again, goes to to the relationship and understanding who they are and being able to be more present with them. So lots of different ways you can go with that. But it's just just pay, pay attention. Yes. Pay attention. Don't give them the phone, the device, the, the the app, the social media and walk away. Pay attention. Be involved. Yes. Yes. We're going to cover these last two bags, guilt and shame and, and disappointment. But but I want to ask this question. What's a lawnmower parent? <laughs> why is that a bad idea? <laughs> yeah. So I heard that term while we were doing this project. And in some areas of the country, they call it a snowplow parent. Uh, so that may work for you. Um, but it's basically, you know, we, we've heard for years, helicopter parents, parents that just hover and hover and hover. A lawnmower or a snowplow parent is a parent that gets out in front of their kid and sort of just clears the path. And again, that goes back to what I referenced earlier, how so many parents are their kids' agents. And so parents are just so, um, they just have a need for control. They have a need to just clear the path for their kid, make the grass nice and, 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 and green and, and, and short and easy to walk on for their kid, which I, I plays into the disappointment bag, quite honestly, if I can kind of skip to that. Yeah. Because oftentimes what happens is kids, they don't really experience the disappointments of having to navigate life, the goods and the bads, the ups and the downs, because you know mom or dad has done it for them for 18 years. And yeah. so they don't know how to do kind of very, in some ways, basic things. And, and, and sometimes something goes wrong and they experience the disappointment. So that's what a lawnmower or a snowplow parent is, is a parent who paves the way in front of them. Yes. Yes. Well, you touched on disappointment. So let's yeah. go ahead and, and, and touch, uh, speak about that just a little bit, and then we'll conclude with guilt and shame. But, but uh, how can parents help their children in, in, in this area? Because disappointment is part of life. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I think one of the things is, is you have to let your kids fail and um, you have to, to let them fail and learn how to navigate um, that. And, and you have to let them know that disappointments come in their way. 
I mean, again, you know, there are so many, I think, kind of um, kids and young adults who the first time they experience any real disappointment in life is when they leave the home and, you know, they go off to college or they go to the military, or they get a job and all of a sudden they're faced with some some massive thing that happens that disappoints them and they have no idea how to navigate it because they've never experienced it. And so you want them to be able to experience disappointment while they're under your roof so that you can help kind of love them through the process. And then I'd say the last thing about that is, is remind them, and we already kind of referenced it, but remind them that disappointment and, 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 and things that happen to you that aren't necessarily great are a part of your journey. They're part of your story. They're part of building your character. They're part of building grit and determination along the way. And, and you can handle it. You can handle it. Um, you know, I, one of the things that, that someone kind of recommended to me to say to our kids, and I think I started doing this a little bit a couple of years ago, is to, to acknowledge, I know it's hard. Whatever it is that's in front of you, that, that could, might be disappointing because you might not be able to, 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 to win or handle it or whatever. I know it's hard, but you can do it. I know it's hard, but you can do it. And then when they fail, be there just to love and encourage them and not treat them like a failure. So many kids, um, you know, they, they, they do experience disappointment and then the parents are equally as disappointed that they didn't get the part in the play or didn't get the grades or whatever. And the parents' disappointment spills out onto the kids. And it's a double layer of disappointment. So when they go through these disappointments in life that they're going to have to go through, just love them, love them, love them. Yes, yes, amen. And then that final, the final bag, the guilt and shame bag. And, and um, here it's very important for parents not to contribute yes. to the packing of that bag. Amen. Yeah. Uh, amen. Yeah. Th- this bag gets packed when they kind of make decisions or they experience different circumstances that lead them to experience, you know, th- the guilt that comes in and th- they feel guilty for things they've done. They have shame around who they think they are. Mm-hmm. And um, it can lead them to some isolation. It can lead them to, you know, struggle with relationships, struggle with intimacy. Quite honestly, a lot of the conversations that I had with young adults and college students around this did revolve around, you know, their sexual choices and uh, and, and oftentimes things that happened uh, to them throughout their life. If there's any, you know, um, sexual um, situations that they were in and, and they have been kind of victimized in that way. And so, the guilt and shame baggage can be very deep and can be very hurtful. And so, you know, in some ways as parents, we just have to remind them again, it's back to identity, remind them who they are, remind them that, that, you know, that that they are forgiven for mistakes that they have made. They are not responsible for things that have happened to them. And we just have to kind of love them through that process, you know, just as much. I mean, they, they just have to believe that they're, they're not a failure. And we have to build a relationship with them that allow um, it just allows us to be able to step into those moments with them when they make a bad decision, make a bad choice. Something happens to them. Um, build a relationship where we can we can talk about these things. Amen. Friends, we've been speaking with a pastor and author Chris Sasser. The book is Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. This was a great conversation. Um, Chris, and I appreciate uh, your insight so much. You can go to the website, friends, equipandencourage.com, equipandencourage.com, or thebagsbook.com, thebagsbook.com. And uh, is there contact uh, 
form on on the websites there there is yeah and you can actually um if you're interested in kind of getting a, a, an email every couple of weeks that's got some some of the articles that I write and some just other insight and encouragements, you can sign up there. Um, and I'd also say the book's available on Amazon. So if you want to get it on Amazon, you can do that. Uh, and one more thing is I, I've developed kind of a, a workbook um, that is is it's more than the reflection questions that are in the back. It's kind of some additional stuff. And so if you're interested in not only getting the book, but book for it to take either your, yourself or your you and your spouse or a small group at your church, or, or uh, I've got some Christian schools who are now kind of beginning to have some conversations around this with their staff. Um, you can get the workbook uh, at thebagsbook.com. Uh, you can only get it from me, but if you want just the book, you can go to Amazon or, or get it from thebagsbook.com. I'd, I'd love to kind of help encourage and equip any parent who, who, or leader who wants to continue to have this conversation in their church, their home, their school. Amen. Amen. Well, Chris, Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Mike. I really appreciate just the conversation. And I appreciate other people who want to kind of, again, raise the flag on what's happening with these kids and what we can do to help them. Amen. Amen. You're welcome. Well, that's all we have for you today, friends here on WCN TV. Please share this with your friends and family and on your platforms and uh, encourage them. Get the book, Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. That's all we have. We'll see you next time here on WCN-TV. God bless you.